100, Psalm 100. The reading this morning is from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, can I add my welcome to that of Mike's? Um, in case you don't know me, I'm Jake, and I'm one of the curates here at St. Paul's. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our great God, as we come to your word preached now, would you glorify it in all of us? Bring light to our minds, awaken our hearts, reclaim those who are wandering, would you comfort and establish those of us who feel weak and make us all a people ready for our Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are some songs that when they come on, I just can't help but join in with, tapping my foot to the beat or bobbing my head up and down, and sometimes even singing along with the lyrics. For me, it's songs like September, by Earth, Wind and Fire, which I probably first heard in my mum's record collection, or Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell, or Here Comes the Sun by The Beatles, those old classics. Um, those songs make me move and sing. Likewise, there are some songs that pull at my heartstrings. A number of Eric Clapton songs do that for me. Maybe the epic film scores of Hans Zimmer or Taylor Swift's new album uh, do that for you. Anyhow, as Dan hinted at last week, in a much more profound sense, it's exactly the same with the Psalms. The Psalms are poetry, they're songs. As we see in the Old Testament, the faith of God's people moved back and forth between the polar extremes of anguish and misery and celebration and profound joy. And the Psalms reflect that. Just like many of our songs today, the Psalms gave voice to the cries of those throughout the spectrum of human emotions. They arise out of real experiences of life, life as it comes, along with joys, hurts, betrayals, threats, loneliness, fears, anxieties, anger, and anguish. And so there are times when we need to enter into a specific Psalm using the words of God's people in the past to make them our own, expressing our emotions to God as those now in Christ. Psalm 100, our text today, for example, is an old, old favorite. Originally, it was probably composed to accompany the Israelite thank offering, the Tudah, 
a sacrifice of um, praise made on special occasions. It's the only psalm with this precise inscription for giving grateful praise. But it's also been heavily used since then, often included in the official liturgies of the church. It's still known by many as the Old Hundredth. It's a real favorite. All that being said, the Psalter, the Book of Psalms, is not just a songbook from which we pull out our most loved tracks, the ones that most match our emotions. The Psalms as a whole function to shape and form our emotions and experience of faith in God. Reading them is a liturgical act. It works on us, which helps to um, or helps us to embrace a reality not our own or not that which we're experiencing at the moment. In other words, as we enter into the Psalms as God's people, whatever we're feeling or experiencing, wherever we are on that spectrum from terrible grief to sheer joy, they orient us or reorient us to God. What's more, each psalm is arranged and composed in a particular way. And this form, this arrangement is part of the message itself. We can see that in Psalm 100, which is shaped by seven exhortations or commands. Here they are up on the screen. Shout or sing for joy to the Lord, verse one. Worship or serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, verse two. Know that the Lord is God, verse three. Enter, the same word as in verse two, come. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Praise his name, verse four. From this, the thrust of the psalm is, is fairly obvious. And as we verbalize it, the repetition of those exhortations, those commands, they drive us to praise. That's the power and the beauty of song or poetry or liturgy. It moves us, it moves our hearts. But it's not by form alone that we're led to praise the Lord. Because notice, although they might be simple, the lyrics of this psalm are full of depth, significance and meaning. The message of the psalm is not don't worry, be happy, or always look on the bright side of life, or clap along if you know what happiness is to you. No. Real praise and worship and joy is grounded and centered on knowing God. Right in the middle of all of these exhortations is verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And right at the end of these exhortations, shout, worship, come, know, enter, give thanks, praise, is verse five. For the Lord is, God, is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What this psalm demonstrates is how experiencing God's goodness kindles spiritual praise. 
So as this psalm invites us, let's enter in and briefly dwell on just three aspects of God's goodness found in this psalm that we might be lifted to real joy and delight in him. First, the Lord is the God of creation. In verse one, it's as if the psalmist is summoning a great choir together and he wants everyone to join in. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth whether Jew or Gentile, all the inhabitants of the land or of the world are invited to play a part. They're invited to come and worship the Lord with gladness, not fear and dread, and come before him with joyful songs. It's a wonderful vision of unity and celebration, a universal festival of praise. Yes, if we're honest, it's also obviously a vision that is far, from, far removed from the discord in our world today. And there's so much disunity, isn't there? Um, so many factions. There's social disunity, political disunity, cultural disunity, and now even physical disunity because of COVID-19. And lots of the contemporary discourse centers around mending those factions and ensuring equality much of which is of course good. But is it just me or does every movement and program seem to bring about further divisions? And that's because ultimately those divisions cannot be healed without reference to our most common feature as human beings, that we are made by God. Verse three, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. God made us by creation. We did not bring ourselves into existence. We were all made by the will and power of another. And for that reason, as John Calvin says at the beginning of his most famous work, The Institutes, it's impossible to speak about our humanity or to understand what it really means to be human in isolation from him because he is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. On the other hand, when we know that the Lord is God and we recognize and remember that it is he who made us, our bearings and our allegiances, they change. We turn from self to God. We let go of our schemes to form people according to our perceived wisdom and we embrace the Lord's purpose for us. So rather than shouting at others, we more readily shout for joy to the Lord, which is what we're made for. Next week, we'll begin our return to physically gathering as a church. Um, the lockdown has felt like a long period of exile and it's certainly taken its toll on us as a people. Our return, will initially feel very small and it will be far from perfect, not least because we won't have everyone there. We might be carrying in some anxieties with us and we won't be able to sing as this psalm encourages us to do. But don't be mistaken, it's no small thing. Our gathering together physically on, on the Lord's day is a way of embracing and communicating to those around us what it truly means to be human, 
because there is no higher purpose for our lives than enjoying and worshipping the Lord together. The one who out of his sheer grace and for his glory made us. Our little gathering will be a little glimpse of the all the earth scope of God's plans as we see in the psalm, as different people from different parts join together as one. And it will be a small taste of heaven when there will be a great multitude, as Revelation says, that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne um, and, and shouting together, um, salvation belongs to our God who sits on his throne and to the Lamb. Well, all of that touches on the second aspect of God's goodness we see in the psalm. Um, the Lord is the God of creation, but also the Lord is the God of the covenant. Reading from Psalm 100 verse 3 again. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The Lord made all people by creation, but he's also made us his special people by adoption and regeneration. Again, out of sheer grace and for his glory, it was God's plan from all eternity to redeem his people. And in scripture, we see that plan unfold through God's covenant promises, those promises to bless and be a shepherd to his people. And, and those promises were given first to a few individuals and small families, people like Abraham, and then to a nation who met with God in the courts of his temple. But all of that culminated in the coming of Jesus Christ who, as we saw in John's gospel recently, is God the Son, the eternal word made flesh, the light of the world, and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Which means that we too, the church, are the recipients of God's gracious covenant. Whereas before entering the gates and courts of the temple were restricted to a few, God's mercy now beckons all of us to come, to come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. Because whatever you and I are facing at the moment, there is absolutely nothing that changes the fact that by the blood of Christ, we are his special possession. We are children of the promise. Of course, the Lord as creator is present to all things at all times. He's not bounded like um, creatures like us. But the Lord also, by his Holy Spirit, is specially present to his covenant people, those in Christ. He is a shepherd and a father to us. We are his. We're the sheep of his pasture. He's the God of the covenant. Well, as if that wasn't enough, we come finally to verse 5. And there we see, not only is uh, the Lord the God of creation and the Lord of the covenant, but he is the Lord, the God who is good in himself. 
Come and worship with joy and gladness in your hearts. For, verse 5, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All of what we've seen so far of God's good works in creation and redemption in the gospel of Jesus Christ arises out of who God is in himself. God does good because he is good. Not like us, when we're described as good, it's always in relation to other people. A, you know, a good friend is someone who pays attention to you and is loyal to you. But God, just by being God, is good. Or we might talk about people as having good character. They have traits of honesty or kindness or sympathy. But God doesn't have goodness. Goodness is not just part of him or a quality in him. He is uncreated goodness itself. For God to be God is for him to be good. And what that means, dear friends, is that we cannot affect God's goodness. We can't change or improve him. Nothing in us can make him better than what he already is. That would actually be terrifying if we could cause God to change his nature somehow. Actually, it would make him less than God. Rather, he forever and always remains purely and perfectly good. He is the eternal source of goodness itself. Now, that might throw up all sorts of questions about our experience of the world, and it's entirely valid to ask those questions. But it should also provide us with a huge source of comfort and thanksgiving, because it means that God freely communicates his goodness to us in all he does. And so when we pray things like, give us today our daily bread, we're not begging for something from a stingy, tight-fisted bully. We are, in fact, coming to the inexhaustible fountain of goodness itself, who delights to give without limitation or measure. It's no surprise that goodness is a constant theme throughout the Psalter. Because the more we look on God's goodness, the more we shall see the reasons to move us and uh, to praise and thank him. It's also no surprise that God's goodness often comes together with um, calls like this to shout for joy. Uh, because as Augustine says, we, we sometimes just can't find the words to express our praise. Um, Augustine goes on, he says, um, our sheer joy does not permit us to be silent either. So, um, uh, so let us neither speak nor hold our tongues. But what are we to do if we can neither speak nor keep silent? Let us shout for joy. Just shout for joy. What does that mean, shout for joy, he says? Well, he says, give vent to the inarticulate expression of your joys. Belch out all your happiness to him. Well, we're not going to close by belching with joy together. I'm sure that um, wouldn't work on Zoom. Um, instead, uh, what we're going to do is close with something um, small to remind us of God's enduring covenant love and faithfulness to all generations. It's just a, a simple recording of what's known as the doxology. And it's sung mostly by Nicola and the children at home during one of our family worship sessions. 
and um, you can feel free to join in if, if you wish. The words say this, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below, praise him all ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.